Good morning, everyone. It's a truly an honor to get to be here and worship with you all this morning. This is, yeah, that's great. This is, if we can move it back just a little bit, perfect. This is my wonderful husband, Nate Elliott. <laughs> we decided that we would come as a family and worship with you all. We have our four-year-old daughter, Natalie, and our two-year-old daughter, Abigail, who are back in care, so thank you for providing that as well. And it truly is an honor to get to be here. We are um, honored to be friends with Pastor Jason and Amy. There are so many wonderful connections that we have with this congregation. I've been here for different events throughout the year. I grew up in St. Helens with Sunset Park Church of God. And uh, I recognize many faces either from district events or from being related to some of you. So um, my, uh, my maiden name is Marble, and Melissa Chandler married my first cousin, Joel Marble. So we are all part of God's family, and some of us are literally a part of each other's family. And so it's great to be here, and I just got to say, thank you for being so welcoming to us. Right when we walked in the door, I had several handshakes and this very warm feeling, and so keep on being the people that God has called you to be. It's it truly is a blessing getting to know Pastor Jason and Amy. They're people of depth. They're people who I know care about you deeply and who pray for you regularly. And it's a blessing to get to serve in the same geographical region and come together to partner in ministry. Also wanted to say, because I don't normally get the chance to do it, thank you so much for partnering with us throughout the year. Um, we know that you were a big part of Live Nativity this past December that we do um, as our annual ministry, and that was huge. And there was something that was so sweet and sacred about our church bodies coming together to share the message of hope that we know that Jesus has already brought to us. And it's kind of amazing how people can walk by our neighborhood and not even know that our church exists. And then when we do live nativity, and some of them hear the, the story of Christmas for the first time, and um, it's pretty amazing to get to be in that space. So to God be all the glory for that. If you'll please open with me in prayer before we dig into the scripture. Lord God, you are holy and you are awesome in this place and you are awesome in our lives. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for getting us up this morning. Thank you that we can have the freedom to worship you. Thank you that every time we gather together, whether we see each other in the grocery store or whether we uh, join on a Sunday morning together or whether we are praying for each other in the comfort of our own homes, that you are the one that unites us all. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight as we soak in your word. Thank you for giving us this theme downtime, Sabbath, simplicity, and solitude. I ask for a special blessing on um, Pastor Andrew and Pastor Jason as they preach today. Speak through them and speak to all of our congregations. We pray that we will be uh, different and better as a result of our times of fellowshipping with each other the next couple weeks. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen. I wanted to make sure, if you are note takers, I am so a note taker type of person, but there is a handout that was given when you walked in. If you do want one of those sheets, I'm sure we can get one to you, but if you didn't have a handout that says simplicity on the top, we can be sure to get you one. If you don't have it, do you mind raising your hand? Wow, they're good. Okay, it looks like Ashley's getting some more. Thanks, Ashley. Perfect. Thank you, everybody. 
Okay, we can go to the first slide before this one, Bill. Thanks. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where I ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we shan't be ashamed. To turn, turn will be my delight, till my turning, turning, we come round right. We are surrounded by advertisements everywhere we look. When we go online, they fill the margins or they interrupt us by popping up when we don't want them to. When we listen to the radio, we hear hints as to where we should shop and the best deals that they may provide. When we go to a cash register, right before we get there, we are given hundreds of items to choose from that we could buy at the last minutes, from gum to magazines to different colored Sharpies or sponges, any random thing you can think of. We get emails that tell us of the things that we should want, even though we didn't know that we needed them to begin with. When we drive our eyes, we look up to see on the freeway billboards that are vying for our attention, that are selling the next slushy at the next rest stop that we just need to get. Simplicity, not a term that we hear very often these days. Perhaps it's talked about more often in 1848 when the poem that I read was written. It's an old shaker hymn written by Joseph Brackett. But the Christian discipline of simplicity was not new back then, was it? It's one that we can find in scripture. It's one that Jesus spoke of himself and calls believers to. Today we are in week two of our three-week preacher swap sermon series, which we call Downtime. Sabbath, simplicity, and solitude. And although you will learn about more next week as we wrap it up, I think Andrew's going to be here, Pastor Andrew from Cottage Grove, he'll be here to wrap it up to you. But today we're going to talk about simplicity. And I brought a whiteboard with me today, and I want to hear your thoughts on this word, kind of have a classroom experiment, so to speak. And we can do that with this group of people. How would you define the word simplicity when you hear it? There are no wrong answers. Simplicity, yeah, say it loud and proud. Easy. Easy, excellent choice. Can everybody see this from where they're sitting? Cool. With less, okay, thank you. Okay. Stripped down. Base model. <laughs> Stress free. I'm going to abbreviate that one just because it's humorous if I do. Okay. What? Uncomplicated. Okay, I'm going to kind of put that. Yes, hand back there. Quiet. Quiet. Excellent. Oops. Time for what's important. I'm going to abbreviate that. Time for what's important. <laughs> That's the simplistic version of that. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
blessing the heart. That was beautiful. Also abbreviated. Okay, anything else? Uncomplicated. Okay, that we have that one already, but I'll put a star next to it. That's great. Anything else? Hmm? Less worry. Did you look at my sermon notes? <laughs> oh, I meant this up here, but I guess you do have some notes in front of you too, technically. That's great. Thank you, everybody, for those answers. Um, Richard Foster, we can go to the next slide. Richard Foster wrote a book in the 1970s that has become sort of a standard when we talk about spiritual formation and growth, and it's called Celebration of Discipline, The Path to Spiritual Growth. Is anybody familiar with this resource at all? Excellent. Yes, yes. So it's a great book. I highly recommend it. It really, as you continue to walk with Jesus, it's just another tool to have in your toolkit, so to speak. And what Richard Foster writes about is what we will mention in this series, spiritual disciplines, especially today. And on the screen, this next slide, you'll see 12 spiritual disciplines, which are in three different categories. So these spiritual disciplines concern both group life and individual life. They include both inward experiences and outward experiences. There's just 12 that are listed by Foster. You can look up all sorts of Christian authors and they'll have their own list. It's not exhausted. This is just for the sake of our discussion today. So the inward disciplines are meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. The outward disciplines are simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And then the corporate ones are confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. Now, I'm imagining that you've incorporated these in some aspects of your walk with Jesus at various times in your lives. You might just not have had a title or a definition for them. Perhaps you do seasons of fasting. I know that some people do that for the observance of Lent. Or perhaps there's a particular way that you enjoy serving. These disciplines of the spiritual life can be for us a means of receiving God's grace. They put us in a place where we can experience inner transformation as a gift from God. This is not a Levitical law to follow. You won't look up and find it in Leviticus. These disciplines are not tickets that get you directly into heaven. That is not the point of them whatsoever. They're ways by which we place ourselves before God. They are for all Christians at all times. Whatever ushers us into the holy of holies is proper and it's right for us to engage in. And we look at Christ as our ever-present teacher to show us what we can learn from spiritual disciplines. And today we're going to look at what he says about simplicity. With the spiritual disciplines, we're talking about building deeply ingrained habits within us so that we can respond spontaneously when life gets in the way of what we would want it to look like. It's not an outward behavioral modification. God is working on the interior of the heart. For example, as we study scripture, it begins to change our hearts. And what does that do? That changes our actions. As we confess, we become in right relationship with God, 
and then in turn, we become in right relationship with others. As we pray, we find healing and direction. It impacts inward and outward. Simplicity, and the next slide, it's one of the spiritual disciplines that's found in both the Old and the New Testament. And it refers to what is simple, what is complete, and what has integrity. The most common use of it is a Greek word known as haplotes. Can you say that, haplotes? Oh, you Greek experts, you. Good job. And that, translate, that translates to singleness or singleness of mind. Simplicity, the life that is characterized by singleness of purpose. In such simplicity, openness, sincerity, freedom from double-mindedness, man most resembles God and is most open to God's invitation and blessing. In other words, simplicity is freedom because our focus is on God. Duplicity is bondage. Simplicity brings joy and balance. Duplicity brings anxiety and fear. Perhaps there is no better description of this reality than in one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. It's also the well, most well-known sermon, nestled in the Sermon of the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is up on the mountain, as you can see on the slide, and is preaching the greatest sermon ever preached. To this attentive crowd of people who include the poor and the wealthy, the religious elite, the political leaders, Jesus described a kingdom that was unlike any other that they had heard. And he described how these kingdom members should live, that this kingdom welcomes those who choose to believe and follow Jesus, regardless of the barriers that society has constructed for them for so long. And he speaks with authority, yet it is in somehow this, this way that is so welcoming that teaches members of this kingdom how, how they should practice disciplines that Jesus, this teacher, tells them to so that the Father can witness their acts of devotion, not others. And so as people who are attentively listening to this preacher, they aren't distracted, they don't have the grumbles in their stomachs and they're wanting to get home to their crockpot meal. They aren't thinking about the next thing that's going to happen or where they should be. They are drawn in, and they are soaking in the words of this masterful teacher. They're learning about what it means to be part of this kingdom that they've never heard about before. Jesus shares with them some surprising challenges, such as giving to the needy. And then he teaches them how to pray God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he speaks about fasting and, and how that should be done for God and to not be seen by others. And then he talks about all these things that seem to be about loving others instead of just oneself or instead of just one's cultural group or socioeconomic status. And as this crowd is listening to one mic drop moment, so to speak, after another, some are probably stunned to hear the next words that Jesus says. Next slide. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In other words, no duplicity, just simplicity. 
is people are probably gulping and there's some shifting in bodies of the discomfort and people anxiously playing with the grass or maybe throwing stones in anger with this new word, wondering what this teacher is going to say next. He continues in our main passage for the day. And I don't have that up on the screen, but if you will turn on your Bible app or, or get a pew Bible or one of the Bibles with you, I want to read this passage aloud for you to hear today. It's Matthew chapter 6, if you'll turn in with me now, beginning with verse 25. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And I'll go ahead and take this down for now. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. How many of you listen to Christian radio? I'm not going to judge you if you say you don't. Excellent. Good, good representation, everyone. <laughs> There's a song that has been frequented on Christian radio recently by the Christian band Consumed by Fire. And I've heard it on Hope 107.9 recently, and it's called First Things First. And I'm going to have the lyrics up there on the screen. We can go ahead and show the first one. All the things that I have held dear, the vanities that whispered in my ear. What would I do if they all disappeared? Riches and fame and all that they could buy, I've come to find they never satisfy. What would I gain if my soul's the price? And the next one. I don't want to love what the world loves. I don't want to chase what the world does. I only want you. First things first, I seek your will. Not my own, surrender all my wants to you. Keep the first thing first. To live your truth, Walk your ways, set my eyes, Lord, I fix my face on you. All my desires reversed to keep the first thing first. The central point of simplicity is to seek the kingdom of God and to seek the righteousness of his kingdom first. And then everything else will fall in its proper order. Everything hinges upon maintaining the first thing as first in our lives. Nothing must come before the kingdom of God. This passage sets, gets to the core of what our priorities are and if our inward reality can truly be seen in our outward actions. 
Is our focus simplicity or is it duplicity? Is our focus on the kingdom of God or do we have other gods that are in the way gaining our focus? Jesus is empowering these listeners to know that without a doubt, people who serve God faithfully can trust him to meet their material needs. Look at the birds of the air, he says. They either sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they, Jesus asks. If God provides for birds, he will surely take care of his people, amen? Have you ever watched a bird's behavior during and after a storm? When it's raining, which happens a lot in Oregon, rather than fly, many birds actually perch and they conserve energy during a storm. They sit it out under the cover of a tree or they perch on a fence wire facing into the wind. This reduces their air resistance, which in turn limits the loss of precious body heat. But when the storm passes, you may notice birds coming out of the woodwork. During the most recent rain that we had, I don't even remember when that was, but it happened sometime this year, <laughs> we noticed several different birds that were on our front lawn, and they were constantly pecking at the ground right after the rain stopped. And it, they were coming in, swooping in to find all these fresh worms. We could hear them talking to each other. There was complete quiet during the storm, but they were talking to each other and giving calls to let their other family members know, hey, we found breakfast. But if God provides for them the wisdom to save energy during the storm, and then he provides them an overabundance of literal grub and the ability to communicate to their family and friends to let them know, hey, dinner's up, surely God will take care of his people. Jesus speaks to this in this verse 31 by saying, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. I was at the store a little bit over a week ago, and I had a, my grocery list in hand. And Nate and I went as a family, and so we had our girls. And when we go to a store, and we know if it's going to be a bigger trip, we divide and conquer. So I had Natalie, our four-year-old, and Nate had Abigail, our two-year-old. We each had a cart because we were picking up root beer float supplies. Now, Friendly Street, one of our annual ministries we do, is the Friendly Area Neighborhood Annual Picnic. And for years, our church has been blessed with the opportunity to serve free, free root beer floats to the community. And so Nate had a cart of um, seven of those big uh, gallons of vanilla ice cream, right? So you had seven of those in the cart around Abby. She wasn't complaining at all. Ice cream, right? And then we had like 17 two liters, I think, of A&W root beer that were just surrounding Natalie in the cart, right? So we had that, and we were going down the aisles, and while we were at the store, I thought, hey, I'll just look to see what the deals are. We're here, right? So I walked to the meat section, and I saw that most of the varieties of meat that we commonly purchase were on sale. Were they on the list? No, they were not. But I proceeded to get not one, but two of the family packs of chicken thighs because they were on sale and I could buy a maximum of two. I then noticed that the ham was on sale. Did I need a ham? No, I did not. Did I have a plan to use it? No, I did not. But then the ground beef was on sale, right? You get the picture. <laughs> so we had a cart that was full ready to get our freezer stockpiled. It occurred to me how my mindset had changed. 
Yes, it was a blessing to walk into a store budget-wise to find a good deal, and it's wise to plan meals accordingly and on a budget and all of those things. But I had to stop and think because the reason why I was purchasing them had a little bit more to do with fear and a little bit more to do with worrying about the future. I don't know about you, but some things have changed in our general mindsets since going through a pandemic. Before the pandemic, we didn't really worry about whether or not we had meat on hand or whether we had a large stockpile of toilet paper or of hand soap. But during the pandemic, and especially after, and especially because we are in a news-happy society where we get terrible news at the tip of our fingertips, we've started to think differently. If something is on sale, you'd better get it first or else you might not be stocked like you want to be or it might be out of stock for a month. If there are only three soaps left, even if you have a cupboard full of them, you had better get them because you aren't sure when you're gonna run out. Yes, we can be prepared and we can be really reasonable with planning for our future, but we can also be content and we can also be grateful for what we have and we can trust that God will provide. The reality is if chicken wasn't going to be on sale for 97 cents a pound, our family wasn't going to starve. We didn't have to stock up on it. It'd be okay because God would still provide for us food, and God would provide for us the following week with the ability to pay for our food. What Jesus is saying is that God knows that you need all these things. Jesus continues in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When people make God's kingdom their primary object of desire, they find the ability to trust him with their needs. When people make God's kingdom their primary object of desire, they find the ability to trust him to meet their needs. The verse that follows right after this, I didn't include it in the beginning, but I want to include it now, is verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is not telling his listeners to postpone their worrying. He is instructing them to stop worrying altogether and to rely on God's gracious provision. As the Apostle Paul is closing out his letter to the Philippians, in Philippians 4, chapter 4, we read, or in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, we read, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Freedom from anxiety is one of those inward evidences of seeking first the kingdom of God. The inward reality of simplicity involves a life of joyful unconcern for possessions. It's an inward spirit of trust. If we can get down to the nitty-gritty, it's an inward spirit of trust. The sheer fact that a person is living without things is no guarantee that he or she is living in simplicity. 
And it's possible for a person to be developing an outward lifestyle of simplicity, but to be filled with anxiety on the inside. And I also want to note in in churches, sometimes it can be hard to talk about anxiety, but I want to note that anxiety is a real thing and that it's okay and it's important to ask for help for it. God provides for us help. God also provides for us ways to get help and healing. And we get to come to him in prayer first to get the help that's needed for anxiety. But contemporary culture lacks both the inward reality and the outward lifestyle of simplicity. We are in a society that is lacking simplicity, if I can just say it like it is. We live in the modern world and we are affected by its fractured and by its fragmented state. Anytime you turn on the news, you will see this. We are trapped in a maze of competing attachments. One moment we make decisions that are based on sound reason and then the next moment out of fear for what others may think of us. Or we may stock up on meat when we don't have any need for it. The person who does not seek the kingdom first doesn't seek the kingdom at all. Jesus is saying, when the kingdom of God is genuinely placed first, when we focus on Jesus and trust in God's provision, the ecological concerns, the the poor, our desire to see the unsaved saved, and many other things will be given their proper attention because God knows the desires and the needs of our heart. And when we place God as first, we are then free to receive the provision that God has as a gift that is not ours to keep, and it can be freely shared with others. Simplicity, an inward spirit of trust. Simplicity, the life characterized by singleness of purpose. Simplicity, it leads to freedom, because freedom comes to those who focus on following Jesus. Just as there are inward and outward spiritual disciplines, there are inward and outward expressions of simplicity. Richard Foster, the author of the book that I mentioned at the top of the sermon, would say that freedom from anxiety is characterized by three inner attitudes. And I think this is on your handout as well if you want to munch on it later on. I I'm I'm, tend to be an analytical person, so I tend to listen to a sermon, but then I need to think about it a little later. So for those of you that learn that way, it's there for you too. So Richard Foster writes, If what we have we receive as a gift, and if what we have is to be cared for by God, and if what we have is available to others, then we will possess freedom from anxiety. This is the inward reality of simplicity. However, if what we have, we believe we have gotten, and if what we have, we believe we must hold on to, and if what we have is not available to others, then we will live in anxiety. How true is that, though? If we believe that God will take care of our needs, we are more likely to give to others. And if we believe that God is calling us to give to others, then we will also believe that God will provide. But if we don't believe that every good and perfect gift comes from God, then we are not going to be willing to give to others, or we will worry about how our own needs will be met if we can't completely control the situation. To receive what we have as a gift from God is the first inner attitude of simplicity. Have you thanked God for God's provision in your life recently? 
Have you named your blessings to God? Have you counted your blessings and named them one by one, as the song goes? Have you given credit when it is due? To know that it's God's business and not ours to care for what we have is a second inner attitude of simplicity. God is able to protect what we have. We can trust him with it. After each time I drive our car, I lock the car door. That is a habit of mine. It's so common that I do it without even knowing oftentimes. Each night before we go to bed, I double check to make sure that it did get locked. I do the little remote and hear a little chirp, chirp, if you have that as well. But it doesn't mean that somebody can't break it open, right? So I pray. The lock on the car isn't what protects it. I can only help in a basic way by locking it myself. But my all-seeing, all-knowing, all-listening God hears my prayers and does have the ability to watch over our belongings and possessions. Simplicity means the freedom to trust God for all things, whether it's possessions, whether it's our reputation, whether it's what we do for a living. And then number three, to have our goods available to others marks the third inner attitude of simplicity. If our goods are not available to the community when it is clearly right and good, then they are stolen goods. The reason we find an idea so difficult to hear, this idea, is because of fear of the future. We cling to our possessions rather than sharing them because we are anxious about tomorrow. But if we truly believe that God is who Jesus says he is, then we don't need to be afraid, do we? When we come to see God as the almighty creator and our loving father, we can share because we know that he will take care of us. If someone is in need, we are free to help them and God will provide us with the ability to help them. I share this, mo this sermon as somebody who is deeply convicted and challenged by it as well. Simplicity, like the other spiritual disciplines, is something that we will always be working on. Something that we will always be focusing our hearts and attentions to as God changes us inwardly so that way we can show the love of God outwardly. When we are seeking first the kingdom of God, these three attitudes will characterize our lives. Taken together, they define what Jesus means by do not be anxious. They comprise the inner reality of Christian simplicity. And when we live this way, the, all these things that are necessary to carry on human life adequately will be ours as well. We also know that simplicity isn't just an inner reality. It's a matter of our hearts, but it's also an outward expression. Living in simplicity will affect how we live and how we interact with others. And others will see how it impacts our lives and it will impact theirs too. So that we can put a little bit more meat on the bones of this, I wanted to give you some practical ways that we can apply this as an outward expression in our life. These are 10 controlling principles for the outward expression of simplicity. They are on your sheet. These are from Richard Foster's book. And I thought that these were so good I wanted to share them. But please know that these should never be viewed as laws. They're only an attempt to flesh out the meaning for simplicity today. They're good takeaways that can help us to reflect on what simplicity looks like in our own life and what it could look like with the Spirit's leading. 
I encourage you to pray through these, of course, and, and get the Holy Spirit's guidance with them. But the first practical top one is buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. Number two is reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. I have found personally that I feel a little bit um, maybe incomplete if I don't have my phone nearby. How the phone can kind of seem like an extension of the hand or of the body. And we might go for the phone even if we don't need it just because it's been a habit to have it in our hand. When you realize that you have that kind of attachment to something or you feel empty without something, that's a clue that it might be an addiction forming in you. And there are other habits that we can form to take its place. Number three, develop a habit of giving things away. And I'd encourage you just with the little things. You might be on a tight budget and think, oh, I'm not able to give to that. But pray about it and ask, God, I'd like to give to this. Would you please show me how or please make a way? It might be a $5 gift. And that's a, that could be a big step. But the more that we do it, the more it will become, again, a habit. Number four is refuse to be propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgetry. That is a high scholar's way of saying you don't need the newest version of a phone. You can do with an older version and get along just fine in life. Number five, learn to enjoy things without owning them. That's a very definition of window shopping or the definition of just stopping and smelling the roses and enjoying the things around you. Um, our own family is we try to find creative ways to do things in town that don't cost us money. A park is more so free than going, in, going to a movie, for example. We can go to a movie on occasion, but we don't have to in order to have fun. There are other ways. Number six is develop a deeper appreciation for the creation. We live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. I'm not a huge world traveler, but I know that Oregon is gorgeous. And we have such beauty all around us with the Mackenzie River, um, going up and being on the Willamette. There's just so much beauty Get out and talk to God in creation. Thank him for the little things, the flowers you walk by, the trees that give us coverage on a hot day. <laughs> Number seven, look with healthy skepticism at all buy now, pay later schemes. Pray through it. If something seems fishy, pray about it. God always gives us the wisdom and the direction when we ask for it. I can say that from personal experience. Number eight, obey Jesus's instructions about plain and honest speech. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Number nine, reject anything that breeds the oppression of others. This one can be hard. There's a lot of things we might purchase that um, might hurt others in other parts of the world. I think the beauty of the Christian faith is that we can ask questions knowing that we have this God that embraces mystery and we know that he has all the answers that we need on this side of heaven. Um, but that we also are people who learn 
and who grow. So it's good to ask questions about where you're putting your money and who it supports and, and if the money should be going in that direction. So reject anything that breeds the oppression of others. And then number 10, simply put, shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. If there's something that you can think about right away of, oh, that's this in my life, pray about it. Ask God to help you with it. Simplicity is a soul-growing spiritual discipline that brings maturity and a deeper connection in our lives as we walk with God. It's an inward spirit of trust where we choose to put the first thing first in our lives, God, and it's seen in an outward expression. When we read this Bible passage, and I encourage you to go back and look at it this week and in Matthew 6, and as we take home these notes, may we be encouraged that it is God that is with us as we seek to be people of simplicity. I encourage you to pray over these suggestions and ask God if there's an area that he'd like you to work on and ask him for guidance. And I encourage you to take a baby step. Be intentional with it this week and ask a friend to keep you accountable to it to form these new habits. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. Let's place the first thing first. May we live in simplicity as we leave today and not in duplicity. Pray with me as worship team comes up. Lord God, we thank you for giving us the, this message that we could open up your word and, and see that challenge and the reality that you have called us to place the first thing first. God, we wouldn't know how to do it nearly as well if not for your perfect example. God, we thank you for opening up our hearts and our minds. We ask you to continually be with us and guide us. Thank you that you are a God who sees, who knows, and just loves us so much and wants to do life with us. As the song goes, you didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. Thank you that we cannot be separated by your love or from your love. Lord, as we worship today, continue to open up our hearts and our minds. If there is an area in our life that, that we need to give over to you, then we humbly come to you. We ask for your wisdom and your knowledge and your discernment so that we can put you first in our lives. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from you, and we thank you for that. May we use your gifts in our lives for your glory, to tell of your faithfulness, to tell of your love, and to tell others how you have changed us. Thank you, God, for this morning. Guide us, we pray. Amen.